This is the Mormon Expression Podcast. Find us on the web at mormonexpression.com. All right, welcome to the Mormon Expression Podcast. I'm your host, John. Today we are joined by James. Hello, James. Hello. And Niall. This is Niall. And George. Hi, everybody. This is George. And Tom. What's up? <laughs> A common complaint uh, levied by church members is that former church members leave the church, but they cannot leave it alone. In other words, ex-Mormons... Ex- have an unhealthy and negative preoccupation with Mormonism, and something about leaving drives this negativity. Is this characterization true or not? Today on the panel, we'll be discussing our own thoughts on the issue, both from inside and out, and why we still hold an interest in Mormonism, at least enough of an interest to record a podcast. So, where do you all think this statement comes from? Well, I think it comes from the church. You know, the, the main framing of that, you know, that topic it's coming from the church as you know, as a way to kind of take control of the conversation. In my mind, it's a way to say you're not allowed to talk about, think about, and especially talk to other Mormons about Mormonism. It's a power play. There's a there seems to be a single way that somebody can leave the church and be considered, I don't know, sort of legitimate. You need to leave, and you need to not look back to sort of prevent, prevent any kind of contamination of the numbers. <laughs> now, that's interesting, contamination of the numbers. What, what makes you think the numbers have anything to do with leaving or not leaving? If, if, if you've got uh, an issue or an idea that would be considered heretical or, we'll say, non-faith promoting, you definitely don't want this uh, idea to, to be spread around so that you wouldn't take more people with you when you left. So anyone who turns around and looks back towards the church and and uh, talks about it with the church or with other people outside of the church, then there's that there's that distinct possibility that you could be poisoning, you know, the remaining membership. The thing I'd like to, to kind of look at on this is the idea that a lot of times in the history of the church, I think this goes back um, actually to some Book of Mormon um, verses, is that the church will be destroyed from within. And I view this as a way that if a person is in the church and then they, they leave and become either inactive or an ex-Mormon, um, I think there's some attempt to, that says we need to protect ourselves because we don't want the church to be destroyed. The leadership of the church obviously doesn't, and the members don't want it to either. And so there's an attempt to, to look at those folks that are leaving that may know some of the negative things that have been inside. And so they'll try to discredit those people, convince people um, that there's been something that has been um, uh, damaged about that person to, to ruin their credibility of what's, what they've done or what they're doing now that they left the church. That, that makes sense to me, but it almost sounds a little conspiratorial. Like there's, you know, like an effort, like they know, hey, all these ex-Mormons or all these people out there, they, they know something. And most of my conversations with Mormons, I don't think they believe that. I think they tend to believe that the ex-Mormons have been duped. Um, and whatever makes them sound convincing, it's because there's the influence of Satan there. Well, that's, yeah, that's the main take that I always got, you know, was after I left the church is, you know, it's, you're somehow tainted 
and there's something wrong with you, and therefore we have to disassociate ourselves with you. Do you think that most members have enough contact with ex-Mormons even to be able to evaluate this statement? I mean, before, you know, I kind of went my way with the church, I really didn't have that much interaction. You, when you found out somebody left the church, it was almost taboo to speak of the church. So until I started really investigating the church hard, I didn't have any positive interaction with anybody who had any other sort of idea. And this goes back to the idea that this statement kind of takes those people and puts a buffer around them. I wonder if it would be um, anything that up until really the Prop 8 days, um, that outside the church, the only people that you generally hear knocking the church are those people that have left the church. I don't know if that's universally true, I, and especially since last last year in California, um, when I think that's changed. But generally, a lot of non-members and a lot of people have never been associated with the church, they don't really care. And it's only people who have left the church or maybe the vocal ones that we hear about. The, the thing you have to take into account is that the place where most of the criticism of the church is occurring is now on the Internet. And this sort of uh, accelerates what we had perhaps seen before in a much uh, smaller, you know, degree. Uh, but you know, but now, now it's just out there. It's hard. It's hard to avoid. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and which may come to the to how effective this sort of statement is, uh, because before you could, you know, if somebody left the church and let's say they became, I don't know, a Baptist or whatever, and started talking to you about it, it would be, oh, they're leaving the church and not leaving it alone again. But now you can go hit this anonymous, you know, language and reading that you can do on your own and process it on your own, and it's not this conflicting conversation with somebody else. Well, I also think too. This is Tom, by the way. I also think too that we have we have documents where Elder Maxwell and and Elder Packer and and even Vaughn Featherstone have stated that uh, you know in several talks in public where they say that. You know, there's those people that leave the church and don't leave them alone. And, and there's a lot of uh, people that are very vocal, like Ed Decker, you know, and a lot of people just group all ex-Mormons together like that, where they're just going to uh, dedicate their lives to trying to ruin what they feel like has ruined their lives. You know, it's it's kind of a weird dichotomy, but, you know, for me, I I think that still being a person that goes to church, I see it all the time where if those people that leave and they can't leave it alone, they immediately get that label of, you know, they must be disgruntled and they have an ax to grind. And, but most of the time, well, when you do, you know, a good thorough investigation to start thinking critically and you actually meet some of these people, you start to understand that, you know, they, it's not really that they have an ax to grind. They, they just do what the members of the church do which is they think they've found something better and they just want to share it. That's true. I think it is important to point out that a lot of them do have an ax to grind, though, especially the ones who have access to publishing arms. You know, for a long sure. time, if you wanted to hear anything else about the church, you know, you'd go to Utah Lighthouse Ministries or some other ministry where they're coming from some perspective that way, Ed Decker. And those guys really did have an ax to grind. So, And they really, um, especially in the case of Decker, we're coming up with some nonsense. Right, right. I guess it's easy to, to lump everybody in together, maybe the honest seekers um, and the people who honestly leave the church for, let's say, um, 
academic reasons with uh, the the others who are more on the attack. Yeah, I mean, when when I was on my mission, and you know that very you know kind of us versus them mentality, uh, you would think of the Ed Deckers or maybe you know, on the soft end, you know, maybe uh, Lighthouse Ministries uh, or the Tanners. You know, you would think of those as the your typical ex-Mormon, you know, and I don't know if this was, you know, in everyone's case, but uh, the culture that was promoted that was out there as these, you know, former Mormons was was very on the attack. You know, there wasn't this, you know, knowledge that, you know, people are out there that have left the church and are, are living normal lives. You know, it, it always seemed like if you leave the church, it was going to be a, an act of extremes. Well, and some of the church te- teachings made that a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So someone leaves the church and they start drinking coffee. Well, there you go. Um, they've obviously, you know, gone off the deep end. So it was easy, I know as a child, for me to see that in other people that were pointed out, you know, there's somebody left the church and look, they don't go to church anymore. They drink coffee. They, you know, water their lawn on Sunday. Therefore, you can see that that, that they're in the grasp of Satan. I mean, that's yeah. an exaggeration, of course, but... When you, so, when you live on the fringe, it's easy to identify others as living, you know, some bizarre world kind of version of on the fringe. You see others as living on the fringe. Do you think that uh, some of this whole they leave and don't leave it alone even come, comes from early church history, like John Bennett or William Law and some of those guys with the whole Nauvoo Expositor, you know, William Law story where he built the Nauvoo Expositor to kind of out uh, Joseph Smith's polygamy. Do you think even some of that kind of resides a little bit today? Oh, I think this is George. I th- definitely think that's where the, the concept probably started from is, is back in those early days because so many of the early leaders who did leave um, didn't leave and just quietly go on and live their, their lives. They, they were vocal and they did have an ax to grind. And I think they did it very publicly and, um, you know, vocally and, and carried carried the torch, if you will. Um, I don't know. It'd be interesting today to categorize and understand the people who leave, how many of them leave and what categories they fall into. In other words, do they are they in predominantly LDS cultures? Do, do their family, do they constantly get to... LDS messages from their community, from their family, and then they feel like they have to to fight back, you know, so it's a little bit like um, the early church leaders, or are these people who can kind of drift off and and just never pick up the the torch? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, in my observation, um, talking to a lot of different ex-Mormons, they seem to fall into two sort of camps. There's the people who just didn't like the church for whatever reason especially people who leave when they're really young or that way. And there's the people who took it really seriously. And I'm told by apologists all the time that they took it too seriously. But that, you know, they assumed that the Book of Mormon was literal and everything should be taken, you know, the flood and, and the Garden of Eden, all that kind of stuff. And then when that starts falling apart for them, I, I think that influences it. But you see a lot of defense that way, as, as especially as you're starting to withdraw from the church, if you're going down that path, and you're starting to separate and ask a lot of questions, you might be perceived by those in the church as on the attack. I think I think that perception is—this uh, is Nile, by the way—it's that perception that I think is the most uh, the salient point. 
um, whenever you have a an in-group or sort of a subculture, anytime you've, you've got a subculture or an in-group that develops, you, you're usually defined by everything that's outside of it. It's easy to draw a circle uh, separating you from the external than to draw a circle that everything in the internal. So anything that steps over that line automatically becomes part of the quote-unquote other. And uh, that's where this perception comes in, I think. I think it's important to note, too, that the church is an important aspect of people's lives. I mean, people take things literally. I mean, it's important. When when you become a, a Mormon, for whatever reason, most people, I think there's a few people that don't fall into this category, but most people actually really believe it, and they invest themselves wholeheartedly. So when they come to a crisis and they feel like they need to leave the church or they get excommunicated from the church or they're forced out or whatever reason it is, it's extremely traumatic. Some people actually require therapy to get through it. It destroys marriages and families, and it's very, very traumatic. It's not something that should be taken lightly, I think. I, I think that's an important point. This, the ability for the church to control you know, others' lives uh, is not necessarily uh, stopped when one just leaves the church. For instance, my wife is still very Mormon, attends you know, every week. You know, part of that thinking sometimes creeps in into our marriage. You know, there there is a line of of differentiation now, and you know, you you can't just leave it alone. I mean, I, I wish the, the church, frankly, would just leave me alone. The home <laughs> teachers, you know, come by every every month, and I have to you know kind of sit them down. And every time we get a new home teacher, when they show up. You know, kind of explain to them. Look, I don't want a lesson. I, I know you're you're obligated to come by here, and it's a choice that you're doing this, but it's more an obligation for you. I don't want a lesson, you know, etc. You know, and it's always a give and take, especially in our family. You know, of what you're doing. You know, I allow them to to have a prayer at the end. You know, and and that way, my wife, you know, feels comfortable with the arrangement. But you know, I have to set them down. You know, whenever there's a new pair that comes in and say, you know, these are the ground rules. And half the time, they don't obey those ground rules. You know, it's, and they don't leave it alone, is the point that I'm making. This is George. I want to go back a little bit and agree with both of you, but to go back to what Tom mentioned about some of these folks who leave the church and then the angst and the anxiety that they feel, even to the point of needing therapy and, and uh, going on on different, may, possibly even going on different kind of medication, just to help them. Period. Uh, what probably makes it even worse for those people is how many people in the church will then point to those exact things and say, "See, you should have never left. Look how much happier you were um, when you were living the gospel, and now look at what's happened to your life now that you've left." And and what they don't realize is. There's there's a um, not a cause and effect in that direction, and I think that's even causes more damage as those people are trying to leave to to even get harder, and then they get antagonistic and they start fighting back and they start, you know, getting a little bit, uh, you know, on their high horse a little bit, if you will. Oh, I think that's true, and you know, for me, if you take the original question, why do people leave the church but can't leave it alone? I mean, flip it upside down. You know, so take someone like myself who didn't really fall out of the church till in my 30s. You know, I grew up in the church. The church was involved in everything, the baptisms and the weddings and the temples and the 
going on a mission and going to BYU, it was just integral in almost every aspect of my life. And I'm old enough to go back to when we went to primary in the week and my mother went to Relief Society during the week and dragged me along. You know, it, it was just omnipresent. It was everywhere in my psyche, in the way I processed the world. And if at age 30, I can walk out of the church at that point and just dissect that whole aspect from my life and not dwell on it, not think about it, not talk about it. Man, that's got to be a sign of some kind of psychosis because I, I just can't see how a healthy, you know, normal psychological person can do that. You're going to have to take years to process through what happened to you to recontextualize that and to figure out, you know, where you stand on all these new issues. That's, that, that's incredible. I think that's an incredibly good point. I, I remember the day that, uh, I received a confirmation of my resignation in the store with my wife and I, who, who's a member still. And I, and I mentioned that, well, I guess I'm not a Mormon anymore. I, I think everyone sort of says that at some point or another. And she just, uh, looked over at me and smiled and she said, you'll always be a Mormon. And, and I wanted to say no, but, 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 you know, she really was right. Yes, absolutely. You, can, you can't, you can't get away from it. Uh, and, and I think part of the process of, of coming to terms with yourself after is to become at peace with yourself. And if, if you watch the, the ex-Mormon boards, you'll see that process happen over about six months where people come out really angry and they're lashing out at the world and trying to, you know, find every little thing they could find wrong about the church and, and then eventually it just kind of simmers down, and, and I really think people tend to be, become more at peace with, with their old self. And I, I like what you guys are saying, because when, when someone leaves the church, everything, is, everything kind of falls apart. You know, you, your identity, your beliefs, what to do next, you know, do I pray in the morning, do I not, do I believe in God, do I not? So there's this huge void that's developed now surrounding you and your your whole being pretty much and the way you think and most people when that happens they they tend to think I've got to fill this void with something what is it well, I'm going to fill it with well some people fill it with anger and get on these boards and start just slamming the church okay well I'm going to fill this void with anger until I can start to feel better or some people you know join a Christian church and think okay I'm going to put my that void and fill it with something else like the Bible or whatever or some people say I'm going to fill it with with uh evolution and start to enjoy science better and become agnostic or atheist. And everybody's got to fill that void at some point. Some people take a little bit longer. Some people actually can do it rather quickly. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating journey and experience for all that go through this. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I, when I left the church and finally decided to take action and stop attending, you know, I was so angry over time you know, that anger dissipated and that anger went away, you know, at least in my mind, you know, by working it out, you know, on the boards, working it out, you know, through expressing myself in, in various fashions. Yeah, I, I think there's some real strong taboos that, in a sense, for, for many people, not, not everybody, many people, they have to be broken. Um, and I'm not just talking about, like, the, the going out and sinning. But, you know, things like being able to express your opinion in contradiction to what the church authorities say. And I think the boards give a kind of a safe place to do that. Although, you know, if you go to like exmormon.org or recovery from Mormon boards, you'll see a lot of vitriol, a lot of uh, just negative, negative speech. But it's people digging through their psyche and kind of crossing those lines so they can get used to it. And you can get addicted to that sort of behavior, too. You can start 
feeding on the boards. Find, I mean, I, I went through that time where I started to do all kinds of research, and I was spending hours, I mean, literally hours a day. And my wife even came to me and said, okay, so you don't like sports anymore? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know yet. <laughs> I don't know what I like anymore because for right now, all I was focused on was, okay, there's there's this thing that's going on in my head and in my heart, and I got to find out where I'm at, what's going on with me. And, and sure enough, as, as you start to cycle through and, and you start to feel better about things, then, yeah, I can go to a football game and start to enjoy things, but everything changes. It's Yeah, I th- actually think that... Uh that um, vitriol that, that starts up on some of these anti-boards is also there on the, the pro-LDS boards. I've spent a lot of time on on the LDS.org, on the forums on there. And it's amazing that if you don't have one particular um, point of view that's the popular one, um, you can find yourself in trouble there really quickly as well because uh, it's the party line and nothing else. Oh yeah, you'll see. Every board has their has their own taboos of what you can say and what you can't. That's why online, one of the most interesting things to read, if you can stomach them, are the comment sections on newspaper articles dealing with Mormons. And you'll invariably get this comment, you know, the leaving the church and can't leave it alone, and just all sorts of garbage coming from each side um, because it's unfiltered and it's uncontextualized. And I'm what sure the, it's a big headache for the church. But what do you suppose <laughs> the the most common healthy uh, void filler turns out to be, let's say, five years after you've left the church. What, wh- where do you land? Where do do people always look back at the church? Does does it ever change? That you know, that's an excellent question. And you know, I've spent some time helping out and working with the post Mormon group, mostly because they actually meet with people in real life. And it's hard to say because it's a transitory group. They don't ever stay constant. My assumption has always been people find something else. I've seen the observation several times made on the online communities that most people who leave the church become atheists or agnostics. And my uh, my counter to that is, well, if you leave the church and become a Methodist, you're not going to hang out on the boards. You're going to go to church, and you're going to get your social and your you know your intellectual and spiritual stimulation from that group. So I think it's really hard to say. I, I heard a um, reverend who was giving a speech in Salt Lake one time say that Say that in his congregation, about a third of the of his current membership were former Mormons, and that he believed that it was the same in all congregations, whether you be Catholic or Methodist or whatever across the Salt Lake Valley. If that's true, then when Mormons leave the church, they could be going everywhere. And once they find acceptance and a new home in that community, they just kind of leave it behind. So the ones who don't are the ones who you keep hearing all the all the complaints and whatever from. I also wonder if on some of these boards, if it's the level of criticism that um, gets taken. So it's not necessarily that these people are left church but can't leave it alone, but that any sense of criticism about any little tiny thing, it could be just about the fact that you no longer like funeral potatoes or jello, that is taken as a negative comment. And so it becomes a, a fact that at any criticism, of Mormonism comes across as frothy mouth, uh, hate-filled, uh, personal attack. It, so it's it's that sense that unless you are 100% towing the party line, no matter what you say is going to be just ill wind and and uh, not appreciated within the LDS culture. Yeah, there is a, a very defensive 
kind of nature to to the defense of the LDS faith on the internet. You know, it's it's very reactionary and it's very uh, taken into a context that you know is is usually different than, than the originator of the conversation was was trying to imply. Uh, it it's very you're snapped at very easily you know, for just the littlest of things, you know, that shows that, you know, there, that something's wrong, you know, with, with Mormon culture, you know, in the, in the, well, I shouldn't say Mormon culture, but you know, the Mormon faith. The other thing I think is there seems to be, there tends to be a, a sense of self-validation. We are a culture that's been raised in persecution um, ever since the martyrdom of Joseph Smith, I think there's been a sense of, of um, the fact that if we are persecuted, we must be the, the chosen church of, of God. And so I think today we look at attempts to criticize the church as evidence, as modern day of the church is true. And if you can find um, people who have left the church, who are con- criticizing the church, that are vocal about it. Um, I, I've gotten letters from, uh, you know, emails from relatives, and they'll point to some um, blog that it criticizes the church and says, yep, the church must must uh, still be true because, look, at everybody's Satan is leading his armies against us. And, again, it may be something as simple as not, simple as not liking Utah Jello or, you know, espousing secrets of the temple ceremony, but no matter what it is, it, that must, that's evidence the church is true. It's very easy to collect evidence for something you want to be true, though. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yes. Uh, we were talking a few minutes ago about the leaving process that a lot of people go through where you read a lot. And I know I went through that experience and a lot of others did where you read book after book after book after book while you're sliding, your testimony is sliding. And for some people, it shifts into a new place where they can be comfortable in the church. For others, it just slides them right out of the church. But, you know, for me, I literally had hundreds and hundreds of books, um, more research than I ever did in, in school um, at any time. So for some people, that leaves this intellectual curiosity. You learn all these things about the church. The church starts to become interesting in and of its own right when you start knowing what really happened and pursuing all these kind of academic question lines like, you know, what really happened with polygamy and what was going on in, in Utah with the Utah war and that sort of thing. I, I think that helps at least me maintain my interest in Mormonism because I, I did all that research. This is sort of part of the idea that there were all these questions sort of gathered in your entire life and you've never been, you never allowed yourself to ask them. Is that sort of the direction you're going? I think so. Um, that's probably part of it. But also, it just became an interesting topic. I've met lots of people who left the church who just, you know, read four or five books. That was enough for them, and they were done, and they walked out. For me, the, it became an interesting topic, the history and the doctrine and and um, how things came about and all that kind of stuff. So I'm left with that interest, even though my faith in the in the church is pretty much gone. I guess the, my point is is that Mormonism is interesting in its own right. Um, as an American phenomenon, as a new church, um, as a cultural group, all that kind of stuff. So for me, the reason I don't leave the church alone today is because it's it's just a hobby for me, I suppose. Let me ask you something. That that brings me a question in my head. So do you guys subscribe to the Enzyme? Do you still watch conference? And I mean, some, for some of you guys that have actually left the church, do you still 
you know, keep up on the current status of even the faithful talks and stuff like that? I certainly don't. Um, and that's because it's like reading propaganda. Um, you know, if you want to learn about North Korea, maybe you, you can read some of the propaganda, but the history and the, the culture of the North Koreans, you know, would, would be an excellent, uh, you know, something to study. Whereas the propaganda is just going to tell you how the propaganda operates. But the, the propaganda is uh, the best example of the internal narrative. I think if you want to know what the church is from its point of view, you've got to read that, that propaganda. See, though, I, I, I know where you're headed, but I disagree with that because Mormonism, where it stands today, is not how it was 20 years ago. And Mormonism from 20 years ago was, was drastically different than it was 50 years ago. That, that, that's, the, that's the nature of an internal narrative. It's going to constantly change as the group encounters you know, other, other things. The, the longer that you're staying away from the propaganda, the the, the less in touch you're gonna you're gonna have with the the Mormon zeitgeist, if you will. Yeah, it, I'm I'm not saying that it's unimportant. I'm just saying that there's more interesting things about Mormonism than the the present, you know, crop of happy fuzzy feelings that are coming out of Salt Lake. So, Niall, do you subscribe? Uh, I don't. I but. But uh, I never really did it a whole lot when I was a member. Mainly went through my my wife. My wife, so I, I sort of casually read through interesting looking articles and things like that. But uh, it was general conference that usually got to me. I even though I hate going to church and I hate doing callings and all these things like that, I was always there for general conference. See today, and I, I'm I'm kind of a junkie, so I I subscribe to the Church News and to the Ensign and to Sunstone and to Dialogue. Um, I can't sit through conference because it puts me to sleep, but I can read it. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't read every word in the. I I skim over most of the articles and and look for what I'm looking for, I guess. Um, which I don't know what that is. How about uh, you, Tom? What it's your? Uh, let's all answer this question. I think it's interesting of. Uh, what things we're subscribing to and listening to in the church. Uh, I'm probably not as big of an addict as just, but I'm pretty close. I, I get all the enzymes, even get the friend and yeah, I, I got the church news and I even, uh, I even get the Deseret news to my house. That's like the, the Mormon newspaper here in Utah. So it's, and I, and for the last, what, two, three years, I actually, yeah, I can't watch conference either. That's, that's a definitely sleeper, but I can listen to conference if I'm doing things. You know, if you're like working in the yard, I can, I can, I actually pay closer attention to conference now than I ever have. <laughs> so, yeah. For me, I think we, we continue to get the ensign in the new era in our home and I'll read probably. 25% of each. And then for conference, um, we'll have it on and we DVR it and that way if anybody's listening to it and they, they happen to hear something really interesting and come across, we'll just back it up and, and listen to it um, there. I think our family just generally sits down. We always listen to two or three um, uh, speakers per day that were the really, really key ones. Um, but... Uh, I think uh, in years past, I've been a, a larger listener and, and kind of taking the things in 
now I just kind of listen to them out of interest and uh, to see, you know, what I can hear of Christ versus what I hear of the history. Hey, John, you say you subscribe to Dialogue and Sunstone. Do you, would you recommend that to people that are going through these transitions or do or not? I'm curious about that. Well, when, when I was transitioning out of the church, you know, and that's the reading I'm giving on it now. At the time, I wouldn't have told you I was doing that. Um, it was a long, long process for me, and I, I tried on basically every flavor of Mormon you can be, you know, the from the straight-laced and then becoming more sort of sunstony and then out the door. Um, of, of course, I've never resigned. I'm still a, a member, and I'll, I'll use that if it can get me a 10% discount. But <laughs> so so f- I still have a vestigial interest in what all those groups are doing. Um, Sunstone's a little bit more interesting to me than Dialogue. I actually let my subscription to Dialogue lapse. But Sunstone, Sunstone has, um, you can kind of see the underbelly of the active members a little bit more, and they have news sections. So it's probably my favorite of all the, uh, of, of all the, uh, articles. You can read the news section in the ends and then s- skip to the news section in Sunstone to find out what really happened. They have some better idea of what's going on in Salt Lake sometimes. I just got my first, it got, I just got my first subscription to Sunstone and I'd have to agree with what John was just saying. It's an incredible resource there. Have any of you gone to any of the conferences? I've been to one Sunstone conference and then, um, that's all we made it to. It was enjoyable. I've never gone. Me either. James, Niall, no go? No go. I've gone to so many conferences, I just like to stay away from them now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, conference sounds like work. <laughs> so when we originally talked about uh, doing the podcast together, I suggested that this might be a good first topic because I think some of the people who will listen to this topic will immediately ask why we're, um, as a group of people who aren't either aren't in the church or don't necessarily represent the hard line of the church, why we're interested in talking about the church. So I thought it might be a good idea to kind of bring this discussion up front. I think it's been a great discussion. Do any of you have any um, parting thoughts? I'd like to I'd like to part here with something. Um, when when you brought this topic up, a single image continually popped into my head, and and I thought about sitting down and, and exploring this idea, but really it just sort of blossomed and germinated in my mind. If if you imagine that you're that you're climbing a mountain out of a valley, and you're and you're on a trail, and you and you take the trail. And it goes through trees at some point, or through some boulders. And sometimes it's smooth, sometimes it's rough, sometimes there's bushes in the way. Sometimes it's steep, sometimes it's um, more flat. But eventually you reach the top of the mountain. And you turn back, and you want to see what you've left behind you. And every single time you do something like that, you see an amazing panel stretched out beneath you. You see cars and trees and roads and peoples and buildings and at nighttime you see trillions of lights just splayed out across your entire field of vision and leaving mormonism that's that's really what i feel that 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 view that sight that feeling of the moment will always be with me and i'll always carry it with me and so could you blame me or anybody else who's left the church to turn around and just look down along the 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 path that you've come up and and back across the valley and, and recognize that it's a beautiful thing to see and that the journey that you've taken has definitely been worthwhile. That was just uh, my feelings of it. 
That was nice. That was nice. Yeah, very good. Yeah, very good. I I would like to say that um now that now that I've met quite a few people that are going through a transition or have finished their transition, kind of like what Niall said, that everybody goes on a different in a different direction of sorts. Some people actually leave the church. Some people find a way to stay in the church. Some people make it their lifelong dream to destroy the church in or out. I think it's interesting to note that uh, for those people that might be listening to this podcast, that might be going through their own struggles, that that you're not alone and and there's no good way or good path that's going to take you to where you want to go. Everybody kind of kind of goes in their own direction. It, what's important is to know what works for you and what makes you know what makes it work for you and your family and your loved ones and try to be honest with yourself. I mean, sometimes there's a Lyndon Lamborn that makes a big public display and sometimes there's just leave and don't say anything to anybody and can leave it all and never think about it again. So it's just a wide variety of people and that there's not one person that can be, you know, the example of an ex-Mormon or one person that can be the example of a person that actually researched it all and he's just perfectly fine and it's it's just important to realize that we're not alone in all these transitions that it's important to to take note of that so and i guess my only thought this is george to to follow up on what both of you have said so far is that's what i'm hoping that uh, this is our our initial podcast can kind of be as a source of help to people wherever they are in that journey um, that we can, whether you've left the church, whether you've made the decision to leave the church, whether you're struggling or whether you're, you're really deeply involved and, and, uh, and convinced and, and firm in your testimony in, in the LDS gospel, that we'll be able to provide a resource and some conversation and some things that are fruitful, um, to all of those groups of, of people. And, and that's, um, I think, uh, I, I hope I echo everybody else on the call that that's one of our goals and that's one of our, our, um, objectives in these podcasts is to aid people in that journey. Agreed. Okay, great. Thank you, gentlemen. I think um, the conversation was great, and I learned something from it, so I hope other people can too. So thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. This is John saying so long. This is Jim saying goodbye. This is George saying uh, goodbye and hope you have a great week. This is Tom saying see you later. And this has been Niall. Thanks, everybody. Later, guys. Remember, the discussion continues on our blog at mormonexpression.com. You can also call and leave a message for future podcasts at 801-906-6722. Our music is by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Check him out there. Thanks, everybody.